fuck China, man. I don't think yeah, it's going to get China. This We're isn't going to get this isn't getting through the Chinese firewall anyway. So who gives a shit? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And our real fans, you know, they know where we stand on the, on the yeah. major issues. Our real fans in China are using a VPN. So fuck that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. They know about Tiananmen Square already. In- insert Nord VPN <laughs> advertisement. <laughs> <laughs> are you, uh, do you uh, want to keep your overlords from knowing all the <laughs> classic podcast content you consume? Your usurpatious ideas? Yes. <laughs> usurpation. <laughs> I literally think to this point in time, I've never heard anyone use the word usurpatious. <laughs> uh, <laughs> usurpatious. Oh my God, that's a word. <laughs> Wait, is it? Hold on. I'm not sure. Seems it's like definitely it not. Be. It's not a fucking word. Exhibiting the qua- characteristics of usurpation. <laughs> is it not i mean it's not listed next to usurp in the oxford dictionary but uh well dictionary.com usurpation ah, okay actually wait a minute an act of usurping yeah all right you're clear yeah, so is, would that, when would usurpatious not be the noun version of the verb it's an inconclusive the, the funny thing is the first thing i search Top was Reddit. Did Ben Shapiro make up a word and it's usurpation? <laughs> <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> Got me. <laughs> yeah, what was the second option? Char- something Charlie Kirk said? <laughs> it was Alex Jones' podcast. <laughs> One of his supplements. Oh, man. Oh, All right. Oh, God. <laughs> that is probably our cold open. to come in lap after lap after lap and what does he do he ignores them a committee meeting about it stick it on and send him out just get it through the bus stop chicane george try and straight line it get to the line and we'll see what happens paris tries to cut off hamilton oh, 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 oh. goes straight on this is quite appalling this is the worst start for a grand prix that i have ever seen in the whole of my life what Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to Unqualified. One week after our Dutch Grand Prix in Zandvoort, we are back in Monza, the Temple of Speed. I am joined by my highly esteemed co-host, Sergeant Gerald Carter, coming in with a fresh cut, looking like he's late for an audition, a full metal jacket part two. Great to see you, buddy. You look more aerodynamic. You look cooler, probably trapping less heat. How you doing this evening? Uh, phenomenal. And the haircut is inspired by, uh, the man I feel inclined that I had to come in here today and defend after all the shit I got for my, my support of him yesterday. So I went with my Sergeant military haircut, my Williams (laughs) t-shirt from my man, Logan Sergeant. So look at that dude, multiple levels here. (laughs) Well played. Uh, but Monza, um, well, first off for you, Last season in Monza, this season, comfort of your own home. Tell me about the contrasting experiences. How was your couch? How was your pre-race ritual? This for me is like talking about an ex, you know, this conversation tonight. Uh, I I can't say how happy I am to not physically be in Italy right now. Uh, Super happy about that. Uh, 
had previously planned to go to the Ryder Cup in a couple weeks, which is in Rome. Not doing that. Couldn't be more thrilled about it. Uh, but I got to be honest, there is a little PTSD that's come to the surface, both as I viewed over the weekend and as we worked on the show notes. Uh, if I pause and go off camera and mute and shed a few tears at different points tonight, I apologize in advance. It could just get a little overwhelming. Uh, lots of triggering phrases and thoughts and memories in here that are pretty tough for me to deal with. I was going to say, your voice sounds a little raspier. Was there a lot of yelling into a pillow uh, pre-race just to get all the pain out before we recorded? Could have something to do with the anaphylactic reaction I had on Monday night after getting (laughs) stung by some mutant fucking bee. But yeah, it could also be the trauma. Yeah, for sure. That's a good, it's like a good analogy. The stinging of of Monza is still, is still right there. Um, Well, it's interesting that you feel that that way about Monza, because I have to say from qualifying and then even more so into the race, I think this was a phenomenal weekend for F1, for the fans. Um, and admittedly for the Italians. So uh, I thought this race was great just to hit on qualifying real quick. I mean, you had a lot of sort of usurpations, uh, the word of the day, of the second drivers over their perceived driver number ones this weekend. So you had signs on pole in front of um, Verstappen and Leclerc. You had Russell in front of Hamilton. You had Albon well ahead of, of Sargent in qualifying, Piastri ahead of Norris. Uh, so all around just interesting grid mix up, at least at the top, um, again, Lawson just over a 10th of a second behind Sonoda. So, I mean, he is right there in the, the sort of qualifying gap better than you would expect, uh, both Alpines out. So after a Q one, so after a lovely prior race in Zandvoort, uh, all goes out the window this weekend. And then, uh, while, while Alonzo made it into Q3, Mr. Stroll, who recently announced that he will be renewed for another season. I know, shock all around. Man qualifies last, more or less finished last. Uh, So I was shocked by the number of defenders on various social media of Stroll, which we'll get to later. But um, suffice it to say, he did not deliver on your behalf. Uh, So too bad for you extremely, extremely entertaining qualifying. It was one of those Q3s where at the end you kind of go, oh, and then you're like, oh, and then the next car goes, and you go, oh, like it just kind of like builds and builds and builds and then crescendos like every car one upping another, which is exactly what you want to see. Um, you know, in some ways I kind of feel bad for Charles Leclerc because it's like maybe he's literally, if if he gets the toe in qualifying, he and Carlos Sainz could have had the exact reverse race like it was that tight between them but um yeah Monza is a track is interesting because it seems like the more and I think this is going to be how Vegas plays out the more lap time you spend on average just like not under braking or under any significant like g's the closer the spread of the cars is because car performance just doesn't play as much of a role so Monza is this interesting dynamic where I don't think the racing quality is as good in terms of the low downforce, lack of overtaking opportunities, but the spread between the cars is so much smaller that it kind of makes up for it. And you get a lot of the kind of hair on the back of your neck standing up moments like we had. But I don't know, man. I, in general, think that sometimes, and I, as a, as a new F1 fan, I remember thinking this about Monza. I remember thinking unilaterally that straight straight line 
long straights meant lots of overtaking. And I would always look at Mons and be like, well, this track is going to be the best race of the year. But that's never the case, right? Like, it's it's actually still very difficult. Um, and, you know, uh, arguably has led to, you know, an exciting race. But I, I think I think Monza is overrated overall as a track. I do. Yeah, it seems like the optimal track design is is more of that healthy balance of turns and straights where you're giving just enough time for people to execute the passes. But I also think you have a nice when you have a nice sequence of corners that allows drivers to like come right back on the next turn is much better. Whereas it, I guess you have that in really the kind of home straight and then following the the first chicane, you get a lot of passing into that like second chicane. But yeah, I mean, it's just still feels like, again, this is just another one of those tracks where while the rest of the track is pretty wide open and you don't see the the drag that the size of the car has on the racing, I think same similarly, it's just you, you, almost impossible to expect two cars to go through any of those chicanes side by side and appropriately leave themselves room. So while I thought this race was incredibly interesting, there was a lot of passing. You're right. A lot of it though was cars just driving really close together and like teasing you like there was going to be a pass. But I mean, chicane one, the risk is too high. You're going to get damaged. Stewards are clearly not really causing calling penalties unless contact is made, which isn't worth the risk if you're one of those two drivers. And so, yeah, you get a lot of false promises of, of passes um, and a lot more DRS trains. But I do think they were fortunate in terms of how mixed up the grid was and the car performance, overall proximity. It still was a, a fascinating race with, I think some good performances of the likes of Hamilton and Albon and signs showing out. And so there was a lot of great defense um, out there this, this weekend. Yeah. The track helped with the defense significantly though. Cause like going into turn one, I mean, if you hadn't fully cleared the car you were overtaking at the end of the braking zone, you weren't getting around. Well, I guess I would prefer this line. though. I guess I would prefer this though, instead of just a lot of passes that are pretty pedestrian. Easy. Uh, right, where point. it's like, ah, oh, just blow by. Yep, oh, pass, like, cool. There was 60 like passes. Baku. but Like the home straight in Baku. But so, whereas this yeah. was like, no, it, it forces you to make decisions if you're like Piastri and Norris following Albon. Like, do you switch drivers? Who do you pit first and how? And that leads to some drama. So there's the strategy element and then there's the tire dig actually playing into this race. I feel like maybe more than it has in other races this season. So I, it's tough. I, I think there are definitely pros and cons, but, but it, this one does feel like a bit of a blocker, um, at times. I, I guess the point where I will agree with you the most on the track was the, the quality of late line painting this time around. I don't know if you noticed it and maybe this is overly nitpicky, but the quality of like edge lines on the track seemed to be substandard. I don't know if it was a particularly windy day when they chose to paint the track, but every single line had like drifting paint. And so it was like a bit of a blurry line. There's one corner where I think they just got the line totally wrong, where they basically didn't enforce track limits, which apparently every track, every corner, same track limits, not at Monza, because I think they fucking use the bold line instead of the, the regular line. Um, so once again, per your report from last season, very questionable infrastructure uh, work being done in, in Italy. 
big infrastructure country. They got some some drunk guy hopped up on limoncello named Marco out there just painting the line side, sideways. I, honestly, dude, the Ryder Cup later this month, they may cut the holes in the rough. Like, I, there is no telling what's going to happen. Like, it's just, it's the wild, wild west. Yeah, you better keep a whole, keep an eye on those long putts. You're going to get a lot of a lot of ringers out of the cup. <laughs> a, yeah. a, a weak edge. The, that That is the least surprising report from Monza that I've heard uh, the entire weekend. Well, and the other thing that was uh, being reported was like how all these trees were down. So based on your experience, right, all the crazy storms, I guess a lot of these like really his- this growth had been destroyed. There were markers for the drivers, whatever. Um, but the sides of the track were a lot more open. You think that's a pro or a con for the race fan experience? Better viewership, more open space there or non non-factor? Dude, open spaces don't matter when you when you sell 200,000 too many tickets. And I'm sure they did. I looked at the general admission spots on camera that, like, they did the exact same thing this year. Like, nothing changed. Like, no. The, the, the trees have nothing to do with the viewer experience in comparison to just the ineptitude of the race organizers. Like, the real question <laughs> is, were they still using Chuck E. Cheese tokens as oh, the sole God. currency. I should have I should have gotten in the message boards before this episode and seen the report from the grounds. I'm not optimistic, but it, I don't I don't have a fact-based analysis of that. I'm first. glad you didn't because that is totally like checking the ex-girlfriend's uh Instagram. Facebook. <laughs> yeah, just like scrolling through it back to like 2018. Yeah, You're not, just looking not for great. all like how shitty life is, yeah. like yeah, like fucking <laughs> tokens. Yeah, you <laughs> suck. <laughs> Yeah, the bathroom line's really long. Yeah, and then you and then you find out that they've read on the hospitality area, and it's like, ah, she's got a new boyfriend like this. That cut, that cut me deep. I should have never. Then you watch the race, off. and you're like, damn, it was awesome. Damn it, I was really hoping it was going to be a dud. I really was because I had my whole script prepared to walk on here and be like, Monza's worse than Monaco. Like I was going to go in. And I, I don't think there's a rational argument to be had that extreme. And um, you made your best at Monza wasn't great for racing. And and even that was a bit of a stretch. So worthy yeah. attempt. But yeah, you couldn't push it. Couldn't quite push it that far. Well, thanks for letting me attempt it. Yeah, yeah, no, it was, it was a worthy attempt. Um, anything else you'd like to say on Monza as a, a track no, I, and the racing be, quality? Or you I'd get cool all that if, out? I'd be cool if we move off it for the next 12 months. Good. Well, Graham, you showed a lot of, a lot of bravery here, a lot of strength. Um, not letting your trauma get to you, but we're here for you. So thank you for sharing. Thank you, Sergeant. So this is a, uh, <laughs> yes, for, for yes, sir. Um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. You'll die before you hear that from me, my man. <laughs> no chance. Uh, sir. Yes, sir. Actually. Um, all right. So moving into the race itself, uh, Mr. Sonoda, unfortunately formation lap DNF, this follows Ricardo going out week prior with a wrist injury, a bunch of rain and Zanvoort, which sort of, I think also then skewed Liam Lawson's sort of introduction in first race, although he performed very admirably. Does it feel a little bit like while a lot of storylines are kind of settled across the grid, we're being sort of deprived of this interesting side narrative a bit around AlphaTauri and the comparison of Sonoda to Ricardo and a clean comparison of Sonoda to Lawson. I'm, I guess I'm just hoping for a plain weekend for AlphaTauri to really see how things kind of shake out. Well, I mean, I think we're going to get it. I guess my view is yes, but also we still have plenty of time on the calendar to let that play out. So I don't think we're going to be robbed of it uh, for too long. Um, it is a little bit crazy, though, to think that like, 
that might be the highest source of driver market drama in this next offseason, especially when you benchmark it against the offseason we just had. And the Prior to off season we're going to have after 2020 or the season and postseason of 2024. That'll be, be very nuts. wild. Yeah. yeah, exactly. This is really the, this and what arguably Sergeant, maybe Joe, but all of that's like back marker number two. How fascinating is that? That really? So yeah, I guess to that point, what was well, your, yeah. I, well, I mean, I hope they don't let go of Joe because, uh, as we're going to talk about a little later, if they do let him go and he has to fly home, I'm not sure he's going to know which direction to go. <laughs> Sorry. Just you had to plant the seed, didn't you? <laughs> Damn, you're eager for this one. Before we get to the bottom of the freaking grid. Uh, <laughs> first off, to that point, just get let's get Alvatari out of the way. They only had one driver in the race, that being Liam Lawson. Again, they, they qualified, what, 11 and 12? And then with Sonoda out, um, Lawson moving into that spot. What was your thoughts on kind of his race pay performance overall? Pretty static in terms of his position on the grid throughout the race, but anything to take away? Monza's a, um, how should I put it? In the race itself, Monza is a, Monza when it's dry, which is almost always dry, is a track. It's not hard to not F up. Like, you, it, it's a safe race. Like, I think we saw that with DeVries and his performance last year. It's not a lot of crazy turns. It doesn't get overly congested at any point. I mean, literally, from the start grid through the first chicane, basically the order was almost undisrupted in this race. Um, so I'm not surprised that he had a clean race. The qualifying was the most impressive part. The gap the gap to Sonoda was even smaller than it was last week. What was it, like a tenth? Um, so, look, Lawson's not like lighting up the scoreboard in a way that people are going to say, oh, give him a permanent seat or you're crazy Red Bull, but like, it's undeniable that he definitely is kind of inching in the right direction. Um, and I mean, I mean, if he, if he rocks up at Singapore and puts Sonoda in his place over the race distance, then we're going to have to, we're going to have to have a conversation. Um, so do you think that's the bar for him is beating yeah. Sonoda to have a drive yeah. next season, even in Alpha Tari? I don't think anybody's going to get excited for him. Just given the fact that they have an alternative idea already in Ricardo. Uh, I, I just, unless they get rid of Sonoda, um, which I, find less likely uh i i don't i don't think that he's he's an option unless he can like wow people like he he's not here except for the fact that ricardo turned into the wall to avoid piastri like it it just he's got to make a really compelling case and you're not seeing that ability to kind of jump in especially in zanvor as no, i guess I mean, proof dude, enough i mean it's a small right, sample as two right, two races but Red Bull just rolled the dice on a driver due to a single race performance last year at Monza, and they fired him before the summer break. So I don't think they're going to be quick to do that again unless Lawson really jumps off the page. I think their bar is sort of ratcheted up uh, a couple notches after after that experience. Well, when you have alternatives, uh, I, I, why wouldn't you notch the bar up? Like, yeah. So do we know how how – like when Ricardo is actually going to be back and how many races I mean, he'll have to like, what is the sample size that we'll have of Lawson V Ricardo in a sense? Uh, I, well, I don't think they're going to race against each other. Well, so. not racing, but we're going to have what five races of Lawson and another mm, five races. I don't think of we're going to have five. I, I, cause let's see the, the, the time frame I, heard, I thought was like, he's, they're trying to get him back kind of quick, which I heard Singapore at the earliest Japan, most likely. So, and I think those fast. are back to back. So Singapore's in two weeks. Japan's a week after that. So 
I mean, it's, you know, it's not unfathomable. I mean, these things have power steering now, so it's not like it's not like you're just putting massive loads through your wrist while you're racing. I mean, no, I mean, seriously, like you put a, you put a bigger load on your wrist every other night, you know, just sitting at home laying in your bed. <laughs> I just love that. You know what I was laughing about to lean into that. Yeah, I did. <laughs> uh, uh. <laughs> Good one. I'm glad, glad you picked up on that. Yep. Um, yeah. So look, I mean, he might have what three, four races max. So I mean, that's a pretty small. I, I don't think he's going to have a small times. showing. I think he's going to have to rock mm. up and like just put beats and at Singapore and do something crazy like now. Or he's, and it's not any fault of his own. You know, if you gave him a half season length of time like DeVries, he very well could pan out and be a good driver. But like, he just. He did, he's not been dealt those cards. So he's and there's not really anywhere cards. else out there for him to go. What? Unless Williams drops Sargent or Alpha drops yeah, Joe. Williams isn't going to have two puppet Red Bull drivers, you know? Uh, so, yeah, no, he he doesn't have a ton of options. No. Yeah. He, he might have to wait till 2025, which, to your point, there will be a lot of chaos and potentially a lot of opportunity. So Yep. Yep. Well, this is his interview, so... All right, beyond that, let's get to the the front of the grid. Red Bull finishing 1-2, Verstappen locking in that 10th win in a row, which really nobody surprised by at this point. Uh, in the race, both drivers clearing their sort of first car on, on lap seven, 16, I'm sorry. Verstappen passed Sainz, Perez passed uh, Russell. As we look ahead to the remainder of the season, I guess it sort of seems presumed that Red Bull is just going to win out from here and maybe Max wins every race till the end of the season. But if you were to anticipate where do you, where at what track or which driver do you think at this point has the best chance to break Verstappen and Red Bull's sort of respective win streaks? Uh, it's an interesting question. Um, I, I mean, honestly, it's probably Singapore. I mean, he qualified eighth in Singapore last year because he had the fuel management issue and didn't fully recover it because Singapore is a difficult place to overtake. It's also very frequently wet and also very frequently chaotic. Uh, it's bumpy. It's hot as shit. It's kind of like it's kind of like racing in a rainforest. Um, I, I, ah, honestly, I think it's probably in two weeks. Either that or maybe Japan if it rains. Vegas is the other wild card, and like looking at that track layout, I'm like, this just looks like a bunch of straight lines. And so maybe Williams will rock up with a rocket ship and like you know shock everybody and find a way to win a race. Like I have no idea, but I, my my best answer is, is Singapore, if 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 anywhere. Yeah, I mean, at this point, it's I think Perez beating Verstappen in Singapore. Not hugely convinced Red Bull loses any of the race this season, and honestly, if it is, it, it's going to be I think from from their own error. I think it's going to be either a mechanical issue that finally rears its head, which has been basically non-existent, although unlikely given they're probably able to run the cars a lot lower power given the dominance um, or some kind of like mistake given weather or, or contact. But I mean, it's just hard to see at this point where they lose out to anyone else, just given how error free Verstappen has been. I think in Monza, you saw an interesting level of restraint, at that first chicane, whereas in the past, if he's 
neck and neck in a battle. He's going to risk it like he did with Hamilton. But at this point, zero need. And I think that that same concept holds true for every race and every corner through the end of the season. So there's just there's not a need to risk anything. So, I mean, if he gets out qualified in Singapore, he, he could lose. I mean, la- like last year, <laughs> I'm looking at the finishing order for last year's Singapore Grand Prix. Max qualified eighth, finished seventh. Guess, well, he qualified eighth, and then I think they replaced some parts, and he actually started even further back on the grid. Guess who Guess who beat him in sixth? Yeah. <laughs> Stroll. I mean, it's a hard place to overtake. So if he gets beat by a Ferrari and maybe somebody else in qualifying, maybe, I don't know if, I don't think McLaren's going to go well to Singapore, but like, Aston could, Alonso could maybe out qualify him. Well, that's this he, thing is this: it's all about the unpredictable happening, right? It's just it's correct. not going to happen on pure pace, pure car performance, driver performance anywhere. It's going to be like you said, either a mechanical thing or he makes an <clears> egregious <throat> mistake in qualifying and you can't recover. And that might be Singapore, that might be a Vegas. We'll we'll see. Um, it's hard to say. Yeah. Yep. I mean, look, the general on Verstappen though. 10 in a row, unbelievable, like, sport record. There's no telling how many more he's going to put on top of that. I'd imagine that win streak's not going to be touched for a while uh, after he kind of moves the new bar. I mean, especially um, if he if it doesn't happen in Singapore. I mean, yeah, if it carries on to that, you're next, 15. Yeah, yeah, yeah which that, is like insane. nobody may ever touch that again. And You, you certainly know, hope not. <laughs> yeah, Um but yeah, the way he set up signs, he stayed patient. Um, you know, he got he took the exact same line into that corner, into that corner with signs that he took against Hamilton that one year where they came together. Oh, the side he, by side of those the, two it was identical. identical. Yeah. And, and he and he backed out of it this time, right? Of course, stayed patient. So like he's just he's in he's in a zone, man, where he's just not he's not gonna beat himself, you know? So Well, and it's nice to see the I think the drivers, like when you see them show that that level of like respect right because it is easy to sit here and say oh the car is doing most of the work and look that's probably not untrue but the likes of alonzo and others coming in saying it's still kind of crazy that it's been this flawless um it is still something special to watch you hear him talk about how he figured something out at baku about the car balance did you have you heard this interview yes and he's basically yeah, yeah. been using that the rest of the season i'm just like Dude, what did you figure out? And like, why has Sergio Perez this entire second half of the season just like not been able to figure out something similar about the car balance that works for him? It's like, well, and is that not what is that that wouldn't be communicated, or is it just a finesse thing that Perez can't replicate? Can't, probably that, yeah. But still, wild that like he realized he didn't have Perez's pace, like like for like in Baku, and he just started effing with the format. Just went to the laboratory. Just went into the lab, man, like during the race, figured it out and hasn't looked back. That's kind of badass. Yeah. Well, and even more than that is just like the the optics of it, right? Of it sort of seems like what just the whole Perez is in the battle now and all this and just the definitiveness by which he has since closed the door is like a Michael Jordan-esque kind of Kobe-esque dominance of just delivering and shutting up the the crowd. So um, yeah, it's at least fun to watch from that standpoint. But what I will say was even more fun to watch this weekend 
was, ah, we hate to admit it, but we have to give them credit where credit is due. This was an awesome weekend for Ferrari. First and third out of qualifying, third and fourth in the race. Awesome defense on Verstappen. Really exciting battles between one another. Want to just spend some time on this Ferrari battle. Signs versus Leclerc. You know, after their their first sort of run in, the the team comes over the radio and, and basically says like, "All right, no risks." Which interestingly, it was I think like a few laps later when it was really heating up that they showed it on the broadcast. But it was like after the first side by side in that chicane, I think like maybe coming out of the pits or whatever. Um, no, it was after Perez passed, but whatever it was immediately came on the radio be like no risks guys and for like the next seven laps they just said fuck that and just continued to go at it hold on i want to make sure we get their pit wall in full context i think he said no risks free to race yes full radio yes yes but all that to say it was a measured message agreed but all that to say leclerc i think uh ignored the no risks part a a little (laughs) bit more than maybe they were trying to infer but um as you watch that battle play out, I mean, what was your thoughts overall? Did you think it was uh, fruitful or did you feel like it was just foolish for them basically fighting over third versus fourth at that point, which was really the, maybe the, one of their biggest hauls all weekend? Yeah, so um, uh, I tried from so many different angles to figure out how I was going to shit on the Ferrari pit, pit wall as a result of this. But I genuinely think the no risk, free to race, Radio call was amongst the most measured that we've heard on the broadcast this year. I'm not going to say that I, they may have stumbled into that wording. I have no idea how deliberate that was by his engineer because generally uh, Leclerc's engineer is a doofus, like a complete doofus. Um, but uh, I thought they nailed it. I mean, if I so like, did you hear the comments that Andreas Stella made at McLaren about the Piastri uh, Norris coming together during the race? You know, they didn't damage each other's cars, but they did make contact yep in turn one piastri trying to take the inside going a little deep hitting at fault yep so contrast ferrari let him race mentality with mclaren stella comes out like some fatherly figure beating his children in the press conference after the racing he's like i won't tolerate drivers viewing themselves bigger than the team the team is bigger than them basically like that they had you know basically like shot his dog and committed some just like eternal sin and i'm like Dude, what do you expect? Like, I get that you don't want to make a habit of guys knocking each other out of races, but, like, if they're banging tires and racing hard because they are on equal performance, equal lap times, and want positions, I'm sorry. I'm not a fan of a version of team management where they go out of their way to prevent hard racing from happening. And I get the consequences of it, but, like, I think Ferrari was right on, man. And you know what? Charles Leclerc could have easily plowed into the Carlos signs back, and we would have had a field day with it. I think Coulthard about had an orgasm in the booth when when he saw the smoke coming out from underneath Charles Leclerc's tires. Like, oh, there's just so many flashbacks was, of different like Ferrari conflicts dude, where that just popped up instantaneously. Dude, but I, they it says a lot that after the race, they those drivers put down their arms. They said, "We get it. It's hard racing. It was for a podium spot." I respect this guy. I know it wasn't malicious. He's trying to do his job. I'm trying to do mine. I, 
that's exactly the tenor I, I, I would want to strike if I was a team principal. Well, and, and so you talked about the radio a little bit. First off, it was more or less radio silent for Leclerc. I, I watched kind of um, Piastri behind Albon for a lot of the beginning. And then end of race was all Leclerc's radio. After that, like no risks thing, it was pretty much radio silent from the pit wall other than kind of the that second chicane where you know, Leclerc gets the pass and signs comes back at him getting a better exit out of the first chicane going down the inside and goes wide. And they both kind of go wide through that chicane. Leclerc basically goes on the radio and says, Oh, he pushed me wide. And the, his race engineer goes on and says, uh, basically you go energy's full. Like he just ignores Leclerc's like <laughs> protest. And he's like, energy's good to go. Like keep going. And, and, and I love that as well. They were like, I think you're, you're right. It seems like, and I think this is one of the reasons Leclerc likes them. I don't know whether he likes them for this reason or whether he was kind of able to drive this mindset, but it truly seems like their guiding principle is if you qualify in front, you have precedent in that. And I think unfortunately signs has been at the detriment of that because he he often doesn't out qualify Leclerc, but this time he did. And it truly seems like they gave him the precedent slash more or less having it be pretty pretty open-ended. And he had the race pace, and I truly do believe he burned out his tires defending Red Bull oh, in absolutely. ways that Leclerc did not. He like Both Leclerc drivers, the, both for stopping the first yeah. stint and Perez the second stint, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm happy the signs hung on to it. I wouldn't have been, you know, had Leclerc somehow pipped him at the end, I, I wouldn't have been crazy disappointed by it. I was just happy to see the racing, man. Like, that's what's so beautiful about Formula One is like the – like literally two thirds of the podium can be predetermined in the last stint. And you're still like clenching your butthole. Cause like, Oh my God, if two Ferraris come together in the last stint at Monza, like my head will explode. Well, especially at Monza I, to have them oh, just going at it and just know. knowing that they both wanted that, that recognition of being on a podium at Monza, which this season is really the best you can, anybody can hope for um, was, was awesome. I have one more comment about Ferrari's kind of how they view Monza. It, it the fact that they, they got up for Monza, they they got their car configured correctly. They showed up with with race. Do you think pace. they, they do you think fast. they pumped up the engine? Like, do you think they they dialed so, it up a little bit? So here's the thing: I don't know if they cheated. I'm not willing to say that they didn't. I'm also not willing to say that they did. But I was I'm not claiming I, the, they cheated. A team a team that sells out for one race is to me a team that does not have a championship mentality because you de facto don't view every week as the same and you got to show up and be consistent and bring your A game. Like they don't view every week the same, you know, like you talk, you, it's like the difference between talking to like the young kind of up and coming emotional head coach in the NFL versus like Bill Belichick, Bill Belichick's like who we got next week. Don't care who they are. Like we view every week the same, no highs, no lows. He's like Mr. Consistency. That to me is championship mentality. That's how Red Bull views the counter. I think that's how Mercedes largely always viewed the counter. Ferrari does not view the counter that way. They literally just sell out for Monza. And I just, I don't know. I think it's. It does seem like if they they got last place in every race, but they won it. I got a one, two at Monza. The Tifosi are be, happy. They would be tempted to to take that deal. C correct. Which is, which is irrational. Like that is crazy. Maybe we're overstating a bit, but it's but, not. Yeah. It, not that far a, off. 
it's a fault. I, I do wonder if if they if they did anything with engine settings and were like, look, we blow an engine, if it fuck it, like we're gonna yeah. go for it. We gotta we gotta replace an engine component here anyway they, soon. Like I, I just wonder if they if they if they, they w- sell out that much for for Monza, which I would not be be shocked by. Maybe they went back to their old fuel injection playbook from 2018. Feeling, and, a, little, uh, feeling a little rich. <laughs> dusted that off. <laughs> Called in Vettel as a consultant. Yeah. Well, so while it was awesome for fans, of course, anytime that something actually interesting happens in Formula One, you have to have the people on the other side of the coin saying it was somehow against the rules or in bad taste or whatever. Of course, this was no different. Controversy with Signs and Leclerc. We talked about sort of the instance of Signs pushing both drivers off track, no action coming from the stewards. There was then later the instance where, according to some, Signs moved late under bre- braking while sort of Leclerc was trying to take the inside into turn one. That's where Leclerc sort of burned out his tires on the last lap. And that was the end of story. Any takeaways on race cleanliness, signs as actions? Is it a a dirty win, an asterisk worthy performance? Nah, dude. Anything goes going into turn one. I mean, if you aren't fully ahead at the end of that braking zone, you are not entitled to the turn because there's no space in that chicane. And I get that's different than the letter of the law uh, in terms of right away and entitlement to turns, but like. That is a very fast straight in a long braking zone into a very slow ch- speed narrow chicane. Like you got to be fully ahead or you're not getting through. And I think guys are entitled to defend themselves in whatever way they please. Uh, I didn't think anything he did was egregious. Look, it, it on the on the sort of late braking or like moving under braking turn one last lap thing. First off, he had hinted towards the inside pretty early on and Leclerc was coming from way, way back. back. Like literally no one all race had even considered passing from that far back at that turn. And so I think honestly, signs was probably just surprised where he's just like, really, is this guy trying this? And so then he sort of did that second affirming, like, all right, I'm going to really move inside now. But I think honestly, he made the move to the right and was like, there's no way I'm going to, take my correct line here, but Leclerc forced the issue. So I I think that one was kind of a foolish move on Leclerc. It was never going to happen. The one for me was more that second chicane earlier on where both drivers go wide. And I guess I just feel like, again, lack of consistency by the stewards. Are you allowed to go off track and push somebody off track and main, you know, keep that position or not? And this weekend, it just seemed like there was limited enforcement Certainly not if between two teammates, if if the team didn't raise an issue. So that that was more of the issue for me and, and certainly not necessarily signed his performance on some of those other other instances. Well, that brings us to um, the Mercedes team, which a bit quiet other than both incurring some penalties, albeit neither of them really yielded anything. I believe it was Russell um, on Ocon. And then Hamilton and his contact with Piastri. I mean, really, the the one with Hamilton was just quite a bit sloppy, trying to move back to his line before he had finished the pass. But, I mean, amazing recovery of the car and good recovery drive um, overall. But 
again, they, they had both incurred penalties, but really no impact to their finishing position. Um, you think these penalties were, I don't know, I guess overall take on just the, the penalty situation somehow for me, it just, it, it never feels quite right that a guy in a superior car can just kind of bully somebody off track, ruin their race. And they pretty much get no, no punishment, but any other takeaways from from the Mercedes race this weekend? No, not 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 really. I think that the this isn't even about Russell, but I thought that the radio call when Perez die bombed Russell from the outside and then locked up and blew through the turn onto the escape road and then said I got pushed off was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, I, the Hamilton turn in on Piastri, it was like kind of one of those didn't check my mirrors moments. He apologized. That happens. The more shocking thing is like when two tires come together and a car doesn't flip. Like that, you know, they kind of got away with one. Well, and damage uh, seemed relatively limited. I mean, there was a lot of like wheel bumping, but not really any floor damage. So again, I think new new car design seems to be helping a little bit. Whereas back in, you know, a few years ago, any kind of that front arrow. Oh, the the barge boards were Barge gone. board, you were toast. So um, again, I think this car seemed a bit more, it's not just the, uh, once again, Mercedes, super durable. You can't, uh, you can't break those damn things. Um, all right. Going back one more note on, on Perez. So interestingly this week after the race, Perez making some comments that more or less just seemed to show that, look, he's already kind of thinking about 2025. What's on the horizon? Where does he go next? I mean, do you think he pretty much knows at this point he's not going to be in a Red Bull? And if not, where does he go from here? He just retires, you know? Yeah, what's wrong with that, you know? I mean, he extended his career further than he thought he would. He probably came to terms with the finality of his career, you know, when he found Alvedo was getting his seat at Aston. And then this has kind of all been icing on the cake. I think he probably came into Red Bull uh, with the mentality that, like, this is my shot to win a world championship if I'm ever going to. I've got to measure up to Max to do it. And I think he now fully knows he can't do that. Uh you know, fair or unfair. And, um, yeah, for me, it's like, okay, so if you think Red Bull is going to be energized to go younger, get somebody who's closer to Max's pace, and that's not you. And I, I, I mean, he, he doesn't seem one of these guys to me, like Fernando Alonso, that who's just going to do whatever he has to do to stay in the game. Yeah. It doesn't seem so, quite as fanatical. No. So I, and he's, you know, he, he still lives in Guadalajara, right? Like he flies home all the time. He's not, made personal sacrifices to accommodate the demands of F1 in a way that make me think he's probably going to gravitate back towards his personal life sooner rather than later, which I think is totally fair and admirable. Um, so yeah, my bet would actually be he, he kind of hangs it up um, rather than dragging it out. Well, and some people said, does he go to IndyCar then? Cause you know, States is a heck of a lot closer to Mexico at least. So maybe there's, there's that, but yeah, it's just a question of, do you, do you really want to do that when, like you said, you've gotten the, the pinnacle shot, came up a little bit wanting at that point. Do you, do you pursue other things as sort of the most, most, uh, most decorated Mexican race driver in, in history? You know, that's not a bad spot to, not a bad spot to call it quits. Um, so folks not at the tail end of their career, or at least one of them, maybe one of them is, um, Albon and Sergeant Williams, oh, uh, <laughs> 
Well, oh, you, think Albon, you think Albon's going to retire? Yeah, me too. Yeah. Best driver in Thai history. I mean, come on, man. I feel the need to overcorrect a little bit after my my, <laughs> my ribbing last week. But um, look, Albon continues to show out. Qualified seventh. Um, I'm sorry. Qualified sixth. Finished seventh. Um, I mean, at this point, while I use the term loosely some might say incorrectly last week the term brilliance uh would you at least attribute any any of albon's performance as as brilliant he has been brilliant this year yes in a way that has largely revitalized his career and it's all credit to him and he's done it in a very difficult car that is improving also and also very kind of its strengths are highlighted in in straights like mon uh Monza. So, uh, yeah, man, I mean, I continue to be outrageously impressed with him. I think the question comes down to, um, where does he go? You know, like, is there realistically a shot for him at a top team? I would argue probably not, uh, at least not in 2024. Um, yeah, for next year. Now, beyond that, I think he's definitely making a case to put himself in the running, but by then who knows where Williams is going to be? I mean, geez, maybe they will be competing in the top third of the grid. I don't think that's totally unfathomable. So, um, they're kind of there now, right? I mean, they're knocking yeah, at the door. Yeah, yeah, they're knocking at the door. Um, so yeah, at Sergeant for me, I, I'm, he, he's, I don't know. He's kind of like Briar's vanilla ice cream. I'll take it or leave it. Like, I don't, he's not giving me, but he's not, he's not offensive, but he's not impressive. He's just, Sure, let's give him a seat for 2024. I can't think of a better option. Like, great. You know, I'd rather he be Colton Herta, but he's not, so we got to live with it. Well, going back to Albon, I I totally agree. Uh, it was fascinating watching the McLarens driver cam this week and just seeing how differently Albon had to drive the car in order to be successful and just how much he struggles through corners. And it's all about just setting himself up for, for a good straight couple of times, sort of almost even slowing out of chicanes just to keep from being passed by, by a car. And so it just, and he, and then being relatively aggressive, you know, in, in some of those chicanes as well, and just kind of sticking his elbows out and, and doing what he had to, to, to hold positions, really only letting what Hamilton buy, I think, um, in the race, which being on opposite tire strategy, I think was, you know, not much he could have done it at that point. But I mean, other than that, he was pretty impassable. So credit to him. Yeah. I mean that the straight line speed of that Williams basically nullified the value of DRS for any car behind. It was basically as fast as a trailing car with DRS. And so it's just like, yeah, dude, if you come into the straight with a lead at all, like you're probably going to be fine. Like it, but but this credit, is another he, one in a series of multiple races that are not just Monza. I mean, the fact that they did it last week again continues to be the real shocker that yeah. they had such a good race last weekend, and now this is a bit more to be expected. Question mark of what does what does Singapore look like? Japan look like? Those are going to be yeah. You know, Mexico but, are going to be quite a bit tougher for them. But it seems like they're showing all around pace performance. So who knows? To to to, to highlight your point on Albon's personal performance, though. Th having to think defensively for an entire race has got to be so difficult. Every uh, single lap, he had somebody and, and DRS behind him. Cor correct, and so you, you to have to have your brain recalibrated to do that and to not really make any egregious mistakes the whole race is very impressive. Um, 
So, well, and he's yeah. got to use all the tools from, you know, managing the battery appropriately to every corner looks a little oh, yeah. bit different in that car. So, I mean, yeah, just, I, I think really fascinating more so not even just him, but all drivers have to do that kind of stuff and just the amount of things that they have to think about and as perfect as he had to be. Cause look, while he has a little bit of cushion, if he makes any kind of two, three tenths of a second mistake, that position's lost. And he just, he really didn't. So yeah, I know it's not easy. I, I know you're getting hard for that battery graphic on the sky, the sky feed. Oh dude. I'm glad you brought it up. Yes. The innovations just continue. I'm all about it, dude. I want a full, I want a full dashboard when we, when we get the driver cam on, on everything they're doing. Something cropped up about the old, like infrared tire imagery that they used to have. And I'm still jealous that, that that still doesn't, uh, doesn't still exist. You realize this world of formula one broadcast that you fantasize about with all the dials and information, I know multi-viewer heat maps and shit. No, Nobody's going to watch that oh, version of Formula oh. <laughs> One. Nobody's going to watch that, I thought you were doing that, a sales Carol. pitch for the multi-viewer. No, I, I'm just telling you that you're you're on an island on this I one. Know, I you know. You know, you're a nerd, and people don't like nerds. I Trust me, I know. <laughs> <sighs> Anywho, uh, well. well uh, <laughs> don't, don't cry. Don't, don't cry. The next topic. Um, <laughs> um well, with that, let's move on. To, oh, all right. So you made the comment about Sergeant. I feel, again, the A word, not the one you're thinking, but accountability. <laughs> I, <laughs> I used some vocabulary last weekend that, um, you know, upon reflection, I'm, I'm not proud of. And that was the, the improper use of the term brilliance. And you made it abundantly clear that I may have exaggerated the definition of the term did not stick to the, the, the dictionary. And as Sergeant goes, yes. Was he brilliant? Has been brilliant this season? No, I guess my intent was the question being, has he been done enough to demonstrate that he's a serviceable driver in F1 being a rookie and went back because of uh, a couple of debates. I felt the need to better research my position and look, he's basically has a similar performance level in terms of race finishes as Latifi did in his last year in terms of Lots at the back, couple 10, 11, 12 place finishes. He finished 13th this race. He would have been 11th without the, the penalty on Botas. So I guess that's the question of, is that good enough? And I think, as you said, it's pretty eh. Probably not if there's a great candidate in the wings trying to get a seat. Absence of that. He's probably serviceable enough. You know, he's caused, he, he's damaged the cost cap. Hasn't had a finish finish in the points yet. So bit of a bit of a lukewarm uh, position at this point. So I I totally agree with you. I'm not going to go pitch to replace him with Mick Schumacher. You know, it's like all the other options are kind of meh. So it's like, yeah, well, might as well stick with him. What about Giovinazzi? He's out there waiting for a a drive again. Yeah. (laughs) He's he's Um, to start up his esports career. Well, instead of folks who are on the brink of their career, folks who are still rising, uh, a lot of increased chatter this week about Norris to Red Bull. What say Ooh. you? Uh, man, that would be, oh, that would be a driver lineup dream. Um, obviously it would be great for Norris. I like Lando a lot. So as a Red Bull fan, I'm for it. But also it could completely destroy Red Bull from within. 
you know, like Max and Lando are boys, but I have a lot of belief in Lando. And if Lando gets on Max's pace, Yost Verstappen made light Milton Keynes on fire. So I, it's one of those where it's just like a super high variance outcome. Could be the best thing ever. Could absolutely destroy Red Bull uh, via Max's anger. I don't know. I'm super intrigued by it. I've got my popcorn ready. I think it's very possible. Uh, you think that's the best move for for Norris? I mean, yeah, relative to what? Like, geez. I mean, I, the worst case scenario for Norris is that he gets in the Red Bull in 2025 and then the 2026 engine regulations change, or I guess that's coming in in 2027. And then the Red Bull engine's no longer competitive and they're not winning anymore. You know, so maybe he gets in there and he has a top car for two years and then it falls off a cliff. But like, you know, you know, you don't know. So, yeah, I mean, I I think it's smarter than getting a seat at Ferrari. And I, I it sounds like Lewis wants to race till into his 40s. So I'm not sure what other options there are. Yeah, I mean, to me, the other one was was Mercedes, right? And trying to be the heir apparent and sit behind Russell. I still think that's the, the good spot for him. And I think he met her probably measures up well to, to Russell. It's just, yeah, it's a bit of a risk of going against Verstappen. And I guess you hope if you do get blown out, he kind of sticks to what he said is maybe he retires at the end of his current Red Bull contract and moves on. And then you have the, you know, you got the big seat at, at Red Bull, but I mean, it has not worked out for, for many others. So it's not an envious, envious position to to be in and i still think the length of contract again while that is no first sh- you know surefire thing I guess for me it's like does red bull need to go out spend a bunch of money buy somebody out of their contract when at this point they have a driver winning both championships single-handedly like do they need lando norris like they, or why would they get somebody who's available which again the likes of piastri shorter contract ending before norris is you just take somebody as they're available. It's all going to be based on car performance. If they come up next year and they're gapping teams by the same distance as they are this year, then yes, I agree. You're not going to feel the urgency to overinvest in a second driver because you don't need them to win the constructors. But if by the time Perez's contract ends at the end of 2024, if the, if they're in closer battles, then yeah, I think they might feel that their hand is forced a little more and go after somebody like him. Over like an uh, going back to Albon or, you know, promoting Ricardo or some other, you know, or going after Lance Stroll. I'm sure he's high on their list, you know. I mean, he's got quite the tenure now. I mean, long, long career. I mean, you got that that experience is is real valuable. Well, it's kind of interesting because as we, we talk now about, well, Norris to Red Bull and and I've hinted at, I think actually Piastri is the better move and I'm starting to see some traction in that. We're talking Shit, both Ferrari, or both at McLaren drivers might have moved on. Who do they have in their young driver program to to pull in after that? And it was Alex Palau from um, from IndyCar. But how has that unraveled over the uh, the past, I guess, couple of days, weeks? Dude, Alex Palau. So I think it's endemic of the marker that Piastri set down and how he middle fingered Alpine which is basically this dynamic of a young driver who knows their worth saying, I don't give a damn about what this team has invested in me from a driver development standpoint. I'm going to go test my optionality on the open market and fight for my ability to do so. Cause that's basically what Alex Plo has said to McLaren. 
they believe that he had a contract to race for them in F1 as the third driver in 2024 and also compete in IndyCar in 2024. And presumably, he has now said he has no plans to fulfill that obligation. Uh, uh, Alex Pillow just won IndyCar by like a significant margin, so he's definitely the highest prospect F1-wise from that market. Presumably, the reason he's doing that is because he believes he might have a shot at an F1 seat in 2024, which obviously isn't going to be through McLaren, and so he wants to preserve his ability to do that. Which then brings in the question, is Williams talking to him? Does Williams know that they don't want to keep Sargent? They're keeping Pelot warm. Pelot believes F1's an option in 2024, and so he's basically told McLaren to go F themselves because he's not thinking he's going to race any car next year. It does... Like Piastri, you wouldn't tell a team to F off when you know you've already taken money for them for a future season unless you have an option in your back pocket. And so to me, what that says is Pelot knows he has a chance to race in F1 next year, which means the silly season's not over. Oh. And That's think, my theory. And you think Williams is the, the best I literally shot. just came up with this as we were talking, <laughs> but it makes some sense. Because he literally, I mean, he signed a contract that said, and received money, I will drive for Arrows, McLaren, IndyCar in 2024 and be the third driver and do testing and tire testing for McLaren F1. And he's basically just rocked up after he's won IndyCar and said, nope, not doing that anymore. I mean, you'd, you'd have to think he has something because Piastri was in a far better position, you know, having come up the Formula Series and be sort of sitting on the pit wall weekend and week out. So, so much, he, I mean, he was in touching distance and still pulled that and had, you know, something in his back pocket. It would be incredibly foolish for, for Alex to not have that and try to make it because it's, it's more or less kind of impossible at this point for, it seems for the IndyCar driver to break into F1. So yeah, he's got it. Cause otherwise it does not see, it does not seem there is another path for him and it would seem especially bad timing if you do get a an outflow of one or both both McLaren drivers in the next couple of years. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to uh it'll be interesting to see. All right. Aston Martin, they kind of uh flew under the radar, man. They were a bit invisible this week. Week qualifying, Alonso struggled but still finished ninth and uh man with a freshly minted contract I'm sure there's not even a contract at this point, right? Isn't it just cash under the table? Um, Christmas stocking. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Big ass stocking. (laughs) Big old socks. Um, (laughs) No points for stroll. I mean, shit. He qualified last, only finished in front of the cars that DNF'd and the Hosses, which that's, those are basically synonyms. Um, (laughs) I mean... I just, I have to say, I am so glad that that was the contrast to all, dude, I can't tell you, like, I think they have paid bots or something out on the internet supporting Lance Stroll because there was numerous accounts saying, well, it's all the Aston Martin team strategies really screwed, screwed, screwed Stroll this year. And look, I will fully admit we do not catch all of the nuances of every single weekend, (laughs) but I don't feel I feel like we would have distinctly observed like a horrific abuse of Lance Stroll's stellar performance with bad strategy or you know pit crews just does not 
if you're not making Q2, Q1, or I'm sorry, Q3 or Q2, it's hard to say it's team strategy that's leading to uh, bad race outcomes. Uh, that dude is just straight doo-doo. <laughs> that was a much more succinct way to say that, so thank you. <laughs> he sucks. He just he sucks. He sucks, man. He's not and he's not gonna get better. He just sucks. Like I'm sad he's an F1. I wish he would leave. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, so just to do a, a quick points review, because it, it it seems like Aston Martin is the only team really capable of of moving in the standings at this point and not in a positive direction. So just a note on the uh the drivers championship real briefly. Lance Stroll currently sitting at 47 points. Pierre Gasly, 37, 10 back. Ocon, 36 back. Alexander Albon, 21. So he is 26 points back. He will lose to all three of those guys. Do you 100%. think Stroll falls yes. behind all three of them? He will lose to all three of them. There's no doubt in my mind. Wow. I, I want to agree with you. I think it's hard to see how all three of those drivers score a sufficient number of points from seventh back um week in and week out but i'll say certainly one of them and i if i'm, if I'm gonna go with any of them i think albon makes a run here i put albon he finishes ninth ahead of lance stroll so lance stroll while his teammate gets third in the points could fall to 10th behind a williams give gasly a little credit i think there's some tracks coming up alpino alpine had a I mean, I'm not a guy. I'm not a defender of Alpine, and I'm not going to be one tonight. But uh, yeah, this they is had I'm uncomfortable here. Outlier bad weekend on a track that doesn't suit them. That car is heavy and slow, and it'll be much stronger at Singapore. I so. think the only thing that saves Lance Stroll is if those guys take points from each other and get one to two points a race. Right? There's not and enough. They, there's not enough left. But and, and hey, when the Alpines bang tires, they. They bang bodywork like they, bang they, <laughs> they take each other out. So, yeah, that's right. Clear run for Albon and and same thing for for Aston now. So just on the points for them, they sit nine points behind Ferrari now after Ferrari's big weekend. So Aston Martin in fourth in the points, 102 points clear of McLaren. We thinking that that's closable still uh, left in the season feels a bit far fetched but they could they could make it close if they don't uh knock each other out. Yeah. Uh it probably not going to happen but yeah. But god it takes would a couple, be great. Couple of, uh, it would. Yep. Uh, holding out hope. These are the things we have to look search for in a F1 season dominated by Verstappen. Um all right. Well, let's turn to uh, another local team for the weekend, Alfa Romeo. Um, I not a lot to talk about from the race standpoint, but I know you have other topics to cover. The one thing, the two things I want to say are Botas getting in the points this weekend on a, what was it? A last lap pass on, on Sargent getting a 10th place finish qualified, finished ahead of Joe, Joe still a bit, uh, bit in no man's land. The other positive for them this week, their white, red, and green livery of the Italian flag. I think is awesome. And I wish they just expanded it to the whole car because it's the best livery they have. And it, it's something truly unique on the grid. Um, and I think it might help, you know, with some more geographically challenged drivers on the grid. 
um, and just affinity, you know, affiliating the right teams with the right countries and, and national flags. But to that point, um, what was your observation this week from the, uh, the grid challenge and on geography? So you're, are you, you're familiar with the beyond the grid challenge, the formula one media produces or what a quick overview. Yes. My favorite, I think was Vettel being able to like yes. name every single, yeah. uh, champion since like the fifties. It, so for folks that aren't familiar, Beyond the Grid is basically like a quizzo kind of game system that every year they have like five or six rounds of and every driver participates, they earn points and then at the end of the year they have a Grill the Grid champion. Carlos Sainz won it this year, uh, but last week's finale to Grill the Grid was a geography challenge where they basically put a world map in front of them that had magnets on it and the magnets were pictures of famous places. Very obvious famous places that were associated with cities where there was a track for F1 on the F1 calendar. So like Barcelona, for instance, Sagrada Familia was the picture. And you got one point if you could put the country, it, it put the picture in the right country. And you got a second point if you could put the pin where the city is in the country, like inside the map. So you know where Spain is, great. If you know what coast Barcelona is on, you get two points. So there were 10 of these pictures, 20 points available total on this map. How many points do you think that Joe ended the round with? Wait, sorry, how many How many possible? 20 possible. So you had 10 pictures, which means you picked 10 countries and 10 cities. So you had up to 20 points you could earn as you place these. How many points do you think Joe earned? I would have thought higher until I knew you brought this up as a topic. Uh, eight. One. Oh no! What did he get right? <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> I think I, just a guess at I, that point. He he picked up a picture of Big Ben, which is obviously in London, and said, "Oh, this is in London." And then he goes, "I need to find Europe first. and he pointed at Kenya. <laughs> I mean, these days. I, <laughs> One point. Checo also so, so he got London. Is that what he got? He got London correct, which he lived there, right? No, he he put the London symbol like oh he had in, to get in, the he had to get in Morocco. Right. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, no, right. he, yeah, yeah. He didn't find the British Isles, but man, general observations. Joe, absolute disgrace. I I know he moved to London to do his racing career when he was fourteen, but they obviously do not teach geography in in Chinese primary school. Uh. Well, to be the, fair to the man, I think it was probably the fact that he left the Chinese education system and moved to London, which explains why his know, education dude. degraded poorly. But also, I don't think uh, Chinese, at least the Chinese leadership is, is doesn't have a great proclivity for rec properly recognizing national borders. So, you know, I think give him a pass yeah. on that. Yeah, ask Tibet how that's going. Yeah. Uh, I... Uh, the other other general observations, Checo, shockingly bad at geography for a man as well-traveled as him. I think he had like five points. Uh, Lando, absolutely horrible at geography. The big winner, Charles, 20 points out of 20. Verstappen also dominated, 18 out of 20. Nico Hulkenberg, Fernando Alonso had 17 and 18, respectively. They were incredibly impressive. Lewis did pretty well. Final observation, absolutely no one knows where Baku or Singapore is. Literally no one. Do you think you could point out Baku on a world map? 
Yeah, but that's because I'm like a Google Earth psychopath who just like spends hours on Google Earth looking at locations. But it's it is in a weird is in a weird like convoluted region with like lots of seas and bodies of water, and it's hard to know exactly where they are. I would say Singapore is probably the harder one for me, just because I always feel like I get some of the different yeah locations in like Southeast Asia mixed up a lot, but I didn't so know those, those two. If you're going to say, I don't know too. Yeah. I think those are two very fair ones to, to kind of get mixed up. I, I agree. I actually only learned Singapore recently because I learned that you can drive from Singapore to, to um, Bangkok. And I didn't realize that it was connected to like mainland Asia. I thought it was just like on some random Island, like near Jakarta and in Indonesia. Nevertheless, I thought it was hilarious. I haven't seen a geography gaffe that egregious since like Miss Teen USA, South Carolina, you know, talking about education in Iraq. Like it was, it was bad. It was really bad. And you're saying you can drive to Bangkok because it's just a bridge to Malaysia, which is bordered by Thailand. I thought uh, Singapore is on the northern side of the Malacca, straight of Malacca. So it's which is Malaysia. Correct. Yeah, Yeah. 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 Okay. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, that one. Yeah, both of those are are pretty tough. So I, but I think all that to say, we should not trust the the sort of learnedness of people who basically skipped all of their primary school to drive race cars. I mean, they're good at some things. I don't think they're the intellectual superiors of of lots of people, but. Well, but for those of you as well traveled as you are, aren't you looking at it? Wait, but they are places that they all go. They don't look like open up the map and be like, where the hell am I? I guess when you go private jet to private jet. Yeah. When you fly private, you probably don't have to pay attention. But for the the one you already mentioned, though, for those of you that haven't seen this, the the Vettel clip of him naming every F1 champion from 2022 to 1953 is so effing impressive and max gets like into the 80s like he goes way back yeah he was a good historian which to be fair is kind of like equivalent of like when they were born relatively right like how many years before your own birth are you gonna research i mean champions max was max is born in in like 98 96 he's not that old he's 25 yeah but vettel was going back into like the 60s you know right so he's not that old either what i'm saying is they were equivalently impressive Right. Vettel is just a bit older, I mean, and, but Vettel went like another 20 v- years. Vettel got into the 60s and was rattling off the Fangios like with zero hesitation. I mean, yeah. he was just like, I mean, it was just clockwork. Yeah, they didn't even wait for, he didn't even wait for him to like go like, well, when this year, and he just bang, 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 bang. Yeah. And Sonoda forgot like who won in 2021. <laughs> like, like his first year <laughs> on the grid. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I don't know, dude. Yeah. I was, was too far back. I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> yeah. Now that I say that, I'm more. I'm more shocked that they don't know where in the world they're they're visiting, especially when you have I, I don't know, maybe in some places, I guess they have the opportunity to like travel around. But in a lot of them, like you see them rush in the press conference because they got to get back on the plane to the next spot, which is kind of sad that they can't actually like be where they are and enjoy it. The other one that was egregious was they had the Aztec uh, uh, pyramids to for Mexico, like Teotihuacan. Ha- half the grid said Egypt. And literally, the producers were looking at and be like, yeah, did you enjoy the race in Cairo last year? Like, when have we ever raced in Egypt? Yeah, they didn't, they didn't really get the premise of the, like, the, <laughs> yeah. the game itself. It's like, did Checo get that one at least? 
Yes, Checo did. All right, that one. all right, good. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. that is fortunate, at least. Um, all right, let's bring it home now with uh, with Alpine. Both drivers out in Q one. Ocon DNF'd on lap forty one. Gasly had a slow spit plit, uh, <laughs> slow pit stop. I mean, at this point, who do you blame slash fire? Yeah, the hospitality people. I don't know. Maybe the janitor uh, is bad track for them. Yeah, shitty bad catering, weekend. right? They didn't follow the Red <laughs> yeah. Bull model. Yeah, I honestly, I, I'm kind of not in the mood to kick these guys while they're down, which I know is a bit shocking. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it couldn't couldn't have been worse, honestly. Well, and to our to our aspirations for uh, a late season Aston downfall, these guys got to step it up. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. Um, all right. I think we touched on it a little bit, but let's close out here. Look, well, we got to stop DNF of the week, personal podium. Who do you have for the DNF? Oh man. I haven't thought about this at nah, all. I know I didn't include this. Do you have, if you've got them, you go first. Um, I mean, yeah. Stroll easy. Boom. Lance Stroll was the DNF of the week. I mean, dude, you got to break P 20 when your teammates third in the, you know, driver standing. So that's a, that's a pretty poor performance. And then, yeah, whoever's to blame, whoever the new leader at Alpine is fucking fire them. Cause clearly they have not made <laughs> the positive impact that we expected. So uh, whoever that was fired. I'm going to go, I'm going to have to be boring and just repeat yours this week. I think those are hard <laughs> to argue. Those are hard to argue with. Uh, who- also actually, no, 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 no. I have one. I, I'm going to go after Toto for doing his best to diplomatically discredit Max's win streak in his post-race presser. That was just unnecessary. Did you hear the quotes from that? Yeah, yeah. I, it's yeah, just for just Wikipedia. That's eh, just petty. It's so petty. Why are you going to do that? Like, just take the high road on a year you're not fighting them, like, directly. Like, don't be a prick. Well, and maybe this is unfair to Botas, but his whole point was, like, Hamilton had, like, better competition as drivers. That's why it wasn't so dominant. I was like, really? Because other than, like, a handful of Botas qualifying performances. The man was not known for his sort of like on track racecraft. So I kind of save that. It seemed a, a bit of a bridge too far. Yeah. Agreed. Boys, uh, just a little, boys, just a little butthurt to not be on top anymore. That's, that's all I get out of that. Yeah. It's uh, well, you know, can't blame him. Um, all right. Personal podium. I think for myself, William shirt here, you can see it putting Albon up there continues to deliver beyond what people expect. You got to give it to signs. And I think Russell quietly going about his business and getting the better of Hamilton, which hasn't happened much this season. Well, a couple of uh, wheels rubbed this weekend, but overall, I mean, the man brought home the point. So good on him. I'll say signs uh, for continuing to cement his place as the most underrated driver on the grid here, here. Uh, and then uh, Albon and the, you know, throw one at Liam Lawson you know I'm gonna throw one at Liam Lawson for the qualifying performance specifically being within Mm. a tenth of Sonoda I think that's 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 uh notable and I would not have anticipated it the man doesn't get a drive so a lot of good that recognition I didn't say he was gonna get him a car but it's you know here's a thank you note you know (laughs) you're not gonna get the job just gonna get a thank you note yep we'll we'll call you back um all right look ahead to Singapore another street track potentially hot Rainy last year led for a long delay where basically, again, much to my disappointment, they basically waited for the entire track to dry before they started racing again. But as we've learned, there are no wet tire races this year, only enters. 
Um, but Checo came away with the win, as you said, on a bad for stopping qualifying performance and an inability to climb up the grid. Any expectations for the race this week? Or in two weeks, yeah. I'm sorry. In absence of chaos, this will be a very boring race. But if guys get out of order on qualifying, if there's rain, which there is all the time in this part of the world, uh, it could be chaos. I mean, there were six DNFs last year. Like, I mean, that's a lot. It's definitely one of those good races to, uh, it's at nighttime. So I think it's like pretty much calibrated to like the normal schedule more or less, but not a bad race to, uh, watch on replay. Um, Wait, it is yeah, a couple what, hours it, off, I think. But uh, well, if it's ten o'clock local in Singapore, then what would that translate to? Yeah, it's a bit a bit on the early side. I think it's like an hour earlier, seven thirty Eastern. So more or less the same the same time. But if you're not getting up early, not a bad race to uh, skip through all the red flags potentially. But yeah, I, I totally agree. I think the best thing we can hope for is a wet qualifying and a dry race, get the grid mixed up and then have some bit of dynamic racing on Sunday. So we will see. And and as we've said earlier, potentially Perez's last best chance at a race win, breaking the Verstappen dominance. Time will tell. Boy, wouldn't that be wild if you have Max tailing Checo closely in the last 10 of the race, trying to keep his streak alive. Teammate on teammate, that could get pretty spicy. Uh, Who knows? We can hope. Time will tell. And in two weeks, it shall. So until then, peace. Always a pleasure, buddy. Peace. Peace.